Exodus, Exodus chapter 20, uh, verses 8 through 10. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all of your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall do no work, you nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your male servant, nor your female servant, nor your cattle, nor your stranger who is within your gates. Okay, you can be seated. Uh, by the way, if um, we try to give our workers a break over the summer, and so if you have not been involved in children's church through the year, but you're willing to maybe help cover a Sunday or two over the summer, please see Miss Kathy and, and let her know that you are interested in maybe helping out over the summer. Uh, again, the idea is if we get enough folks who are willing to just sort of chip in once in a blue moon, uh, we'll have it covered for the summer. So please let her know if you're interested in that. Um, also, and follow up with a couple of the announcements, my care group, new members group, new members group, 6 o'clock at the Parsonage, we'll be meeting, and um, just bring like a finger food, uh, just something light, and we'll go that route tonight. And again, that's at 6 o'clock. Uh, also, uh, make sure that all of you check by the table to find out which group you're in. Uh, but the main thing is go to a group. Uh, if, if there's a group meeting in the gym uh, this evening. There'll be a group meeting in here. Uh, also, Pastor Dean Hightower's home has a group meeting. So check on the table. Miss Holly, Mr. Mark, uh, has the college and career age. So if you know anyone college and career age, please see Mark and Holly. They can get you directions to their house. And we're excited about that. And if you're visiting today and you want to know more about our church, come on over to the uh, new members class tonight at my house at um, 6 o'clock. We'd love to have you uh, be involved in that. So if you, if you don't see your name on a list or if you're visiting, plug in somewhere. It uh, should be a good evening. We, we enjoy our summer care groups. Uh, those always end up being a, a really good time. Go ahead and give you a heads up. Your care group questions tonight come from this morning's sermon, so no sleeping, please. Okay, I'd hate to call you out and embarrass you here this morning. Turn in your Bibles, if you would, to Luke. We're picking back up in our study. Luke chapter 6. Luke chapter 6. Today's sermon is entitled, Tradition versus Truth, or Legalism versus Liberty. Now, I always like to give a little disclaimer especially when there are new faces in the crowd, and we've got several this morning. I'm thankful for that. I always like to give a disclaimer because I remember... See, I didn't come to know Christ as my Lord and Savior until I was 25. But I would occasionally, a few times a year, sometimes more times during a year, if I was dating a Christian girl, I would come into church a lot more often than other times. And... Um, I always would leave feeling like somebody told that pastor I was going to be there. Because he kept picking on me all morning. Maybe so. The Lord was picking on me, but nobody told the pastor. And I want you to know up front that no one has told the pastor um, in preparation for this message, because here's what we're doing. We're going through the book of Luke. And we just so happen on this Sunday morning to be at Luke chapter 6, verse 1. So I want that to be a disclaimer out front. If you're here this morning, God knew today was the appointed time for you to be here. So don't think I'm picking on anyone. I'm not, I promise. 
I was, I was taught in, in, in seminary, in Bible college, that when you preach, you don't want to fire a bullet. You want to shoot a shotgun. Now, some of you understand the difference. What, what does a bullet do? It's point, right? It's pointed at, at one specific target. What does a shotgun do? Scatters. We're shooting shotguns this morning, folks. I hope one of those pellets hits you. Amen. All right. So, uh, with that said, let's take a look in, in, in Luke chapter 6. Um, uh, I, I want to tell you a little bit more about my background, though, with, with church experience. Uh, I think this is important for you to understand where, where, how I can relate to this text. And when I was reading through this and studying how it reminded me of some of my earlier experiences with uh, the church folk. I remember I was uh, probably around age 11 to 13. There was a bus ministry that would come through our neighborhood. And great family, they were, they were just a great couple, and they would always encourage the kids to you know, get on the bus and go to church with them on Sunday. And so me and some of the neighborhood kids, we'd start doing that. We'd pile on the, on the van, church van. In fact, it, it kind of looked like our blueberry out here. I mean, it was probably the same year <laughs> that that one was made. But... We would pile on that van, and you know. And after a few Sundays, I remember thinking, ah, and, and you know, I didn't really want to go anymore. It just didn't seem, you know, my place. And and I would, I remember trying to get the neighborhood kids to hide when the bus would come around, you know. But that bus driver was smart. He would find our hiding space and say, "Come on, guys, let's go. It's time to go to church. Let's go." But I remember one time I was actually on the way back from a Sunday morning service, and uh, this you got to realize this is in the eighties, and. Uh, I remember talking to my best friend Danny, he's my neighbor. I said, Danny, listen, man, when we get back to the house, I'm going to eat, you're going to eat, and then I'm going to meet you out in the yard. I'll bring the, I'll, you bring the cardboard, and I'll bring the jam box. Now, some of y'all know where this is going if you're a product of the 80s. I, your pastor, as confession, your pastor loved to break dance. Anyway, I won't do any here to embarrass myself any further. My... <laughs> Ask my children, Faith, she's got my genes and she does a mean robot. Just ask her to do it sometime. But I love to break dance. I mean, that was something, my brother was an athlete. My brother was an athlete. He played ball. He was just solid. And I tried, and I love sports. I'm very competitive. But that was not my niche. But I love to break dance. And, and I actually found that I was a, had a little bit of talent. I know that's hard to believe. And I actually entered some dance competitions. I won second place at the Randolph Mall. Woo! <laughs> and so I told Danny, I said, when we get home, I'm going to eat. I'm going to bring the jam box. You bring the cardboard, and we'll, we'll, we'll practice. And the lady, the couple that ran the bus ministry, she turned around. And she said, what is that? What are y'all going to do? I said, well, we're going to practice our breakdancing moves. Oh, no, honey, we don't dance. <laughs> it's like... What? She said, no, 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 we don't dance. Dancing leads to other things. I'm thinking, what, a broke neck, maybe? I could see that because my head spin was pretty bad. But that, it it really, I'm just being honest with you, that that pierced my soul. It, It hurt me. Because in this little kid's heart and mind, that was the only God given talent. I felt I had. And now this lady of God, and I've revered the lady, and by the way, she is a great lady, and I still love her to this day. I want to make sure that's very clear. And I've actually shared this story with her since then, and she cried because that was never her heart. 
And, um, and I know that, and I knew that, and that's why I felt like I had to say that eventually when I came to Christ. But in the moment, it hurt. It really hurt. And that was one of the last times I went back to church. Now, shame on me, because really, I, you know, I, I should have... I know I can look back now and see Satan was using that to get me away from, from the church and from, more importantly, the truth of God's Word. But, you know, I, I reflect on that and I think back on that, and that was one of those moments, if you want to call it a damaging moment, uh, in my life, and especially as a young person, and I was turned away. I was kind of turned off from the church. And I'm sure I could go around this room and we could all give a story where somewhere along the way, the church, the people of God, have hurt us. They've wronged us or they've done something or said something that uh, maybe didn't hit well with us. And I am thankful that we have the truth of God's Word to remind us that God's representatives are just like me and you. We are flawed. None of us here have arrived. We all fall short of the glory of God. And I'm reminded too in these moments of, and I didn't know it then, I know it and understand it now, about the importance of my eyes not being on people, because people are going to fail you. But put your eyes on Jesus Christ, because He alone will never fail you. I think it was Ravi Zacharias said, you never judge a religion based upon its followers. You judge a religion based upon its founder. And of course, if you compare religions, there's still one founder who rises above, literally, above all the rest. And that's the person of Jesus Christ. Let's put our heart and our eyes on that person, the Lord Jesus Christ. As we read today's text, I think some of those stories I just shared will make sense in the context of today's message. Look in chapter 6. By the way, if you need a Bible, there's one in front of you in the pew. Uh, Grab one of those, by all means. Luke chapter 6, verse 1. Now it happened on the second Sabbath after the first that he went through the grain fields and his disciples plucked the heads of grain and ate them, rubbing them in their hands. And some of the Pharisees said to them, Why are you doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath? But Jesus answering them said, Have you not even read this? What David did when he was hungry, he and those who were with him. Now he went into the house of God, took and ate the showbread, and also gave some to those with him, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat. And he said to them, The Son of Man is also the Lord, is also Lord of the Sabbath. Father, I pray that you guide and that you speak, Lord, this morning. Let me be a clean vessel for your honor. And Lord God, I I pray that you draw us near. May Christ be exalted in His name. Amen. You know, the Jews, the Pharisees specifically, had a lot of rules, a lot of regulations, if you will. A lot of man-made traditions. In fact... um, John MacArthur, uh, in his research, found that in the Talmud, 
That's a Jewish uh, piece of literature, if you will, um, uh, writings of rabbis, certain uh, imp, uh, applying of some of the laws. And in the Talmud, there are 24 chapters of Sabbath laws that are required. 24 chapters of man-made laws that were put in place by Pharisees, by religious leaders, expecting the people to follow them. Now, I had Dustin read the original law about honoring the Sabbath. And I encourage you to go back and look at that couple of sentences and think about when I read this, how, do, how did they get this in the Talmud from what God originally had written, what God originally intended in regards to the Sabbath? By the way, Sabbath um, is for Saturday. In the, in the Old Testament Jewish tradition, the, uh, the idea was God created in six days, seventh day He rested. Now, for us as Christians, we worship on the first day of the week, Sunday. Sunday is not a Sabbath. Don't refer to the Sunday as, as, as the Sabbath because Sabbath is Saturday. That's like saying, well, I tithe the 20. Tithe is a tenth. You don't tenth the 20. Uh, Sabbath is Saturday. Uh, we worship the first day of the week as believers because that's the day Christ rose. Uh, that's a whole other sermon altogether, but I just kind of want to lay that groundwork. But MacArthur writes this in regards to the Talmud. I want to read this to you. And it's a little lengthy, but I think it's important that, that, that we hear this. In the Talmud, there are 24 chapters of Sabbath laws required. 24 chapters. And one rabbi says the Talmud spent two and a half years in the study of one of those 24 trying to figure out all of its ramifications. It was a ridiculously complex system by which you could earn your salvation by maintaining all these uh, strict structures. And that's what the Pharisees believed. The Jews, a lot of these guys believed, hey, if I keep the law, if I do this, if I, if I work my way up, I can somehow earn favor with God and be saved. That's not true. But that's what they thought. What were these? What were they? Well... You could travel no more than 3,000 feet from your home on the Sabbath. That was a law. That was a man-made law. Not a God law, but this is where they went with it. Unless on Friday, before the Sabbath, you had planted food at 3,000 foot point, and then you could go another 3,000 feet from that. Yeah, this is ridiculous stuff, folks. Hang on, it gets even sillier. But this is what they'd come up with. If you had planted at the 3,000 foot point, then you could go 3,000 more because you constituted that point as a home because your food was there. Now, if you lived down a long, narrow street and you might have been a few hundred feet down the end of the street or the end of the alley, you could take a piece of wood and put it across the end of the street or alley, or you could take a piece of rope and put it across the end of the alley, or you could take a piece of wire and string it across the end of the alley, and that would in the eyes of God, turn into a doorway. And you could consider that the front door of your house so you could go 3,000 feet from there. You could lift up certain things and put down certain things 
only from certain places. You could lift up something from a public place and put it into a private place, or from a private place and put it into a public place. You could lift up things from a wide place and put them in a narrow place. You could put things in a free place. You say, what is that? I don't know, because you have chapter after chapter of rabbis with endless discussion as to what it means. You couldn't carry anything on your person that weighed more than a dried fig. There goes your wallet. (laughs) Forget your purse. You could carry half a fig two times on the Sabbath. You couldn't eat any of the forbiddens. There were all kinds of food forbidden on the Sabbath. You couldn't eat any forbidden food larger than an olive. And if you put an olive in your mouth and spit it out because it was bad, the Talmud said you couldn't replace it with a good one because your palate had tasted the flavor of the first one. Now, remember, your salvation depends on this. (laughs) This is ridiculous, but this is how extreme it went. This is how the people thought. They thought, I'm pleasing God. If I just jump through this hoop, if I do this or do that, then therefore somehow I'm going to be pleasing God. This was their thinking. If you threw an object in the air, you could catch it with this hand that you threw it with. But, if you caught it with the other hand, it was sin. Because there's less work in doing this than doing that. If you were in one place and your arms stretched to reach for food and the Sabbath overtook you, you know, it's it's getting ready, oh, the clock's getting ready to strike and I'm getting ready to get that last piece of bread before the Sabbath comes. Oh, Sabbath hit. If you had stretched your arm to reach for food and the Sabbath overtook you, you had to drop the food rather than bring it back, bring your arm back, or or, uh, you had carried the burden and sinned. That would be sin. A tailor couldn't carry his needle. A scribe couldn't carry his pen. A pupil couldn't carry his books. You couldn't even examine your clothes before you put them on, lest in examining, meaning, you know, kind of brushing and shaking, you killed an insect. It'd be murder, you know, killing on the Sabbath. Wool couldn't be dyed. Nothing could be sold or bought or washed. A letter could not be sent, even with a heathen. No fire could be lit. No fire could be put out. Cold water could be poured on warm, but warm couldn't be poured on cold. An egg couldn't be boiled, even if you buried it in the hot sand. That's the way they used to boil an egg in the desert. You couldn't take a bath for fear that the water would flow off of you and wash the floor. You couldn't move a chair since it might make a rut that would be too much like plowing. Women could not look in a mirror or put on any jewelry. If she were to find a white hair, she had to resist the temptation to pull it out. I mean, is this silly or what? When it came to grain and food, the laws are just staggering. You, you could have no more grain than a lamb's uh, mouthful. That's the max amount you could pick. 
You couldn't leave a radish in the salt because it would make a pickle. The laws go on endlessly about wine, about honey, about milk, about uh, spitting, uh, about getting dirt off your clothes. You could have enough ink to write two Hebrew letters. You could carry enough wax to fill a small hole somewhere. You could stick a wad in your ear if you had an earache, but you couldn't put on false teeth. And this is how it goes. 24 chapters of this in the Talmud. (laughs) I'm sure they did. Uh, The following 39 are forbidden things. And here's the list from Alfred Ergersheim, The Life and Times of Jesus, the Messiah, classic work on the history of the people of Israel. They are forbidden. These are forbidden on the Sabbath. Sowing, plowing, reaping, binding sheaves, threshing, winnowing, uh, beating it. Uh, dyeing it, spinning, putting it on the weaver's beam, making two threads, two stitches, catching deer. Holton would be in trouble on the Sabbath. <laughs> Killing, skinning, salting, preparing its skin, scraping off its hair, cutting it up, writing two letters, scraping it, uh, order to write two letters, building, pulling down, extinguishing the fire, lighting the fire, beating with a hammer, and carrying one thing from one place to another. You kind of get the idea. These restrictions... Somehow, some way, man took a simple concept that God had put in place, and we'll examine exactly what God meant when He originally gave us that Sabbath. By the way, it's, it's not for us today. Our Sabbath is fulfilled in Christ, and that's very important. We'll, we'll explore that. But this was their thinking. And so here are these Pharisees, and when they see Jesus' disciples walking through the field, and they're plucking this grain to eat because they're hungry. By the way, they rubbed that together so that they could blow the chaff off. And then that was grain there they could eat. And the Pharisees see this and say, what are you doing this? This is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. Truth is, and by the way, the comparison here through this three-point outline, if you will, we're going to say truth is, tradition was. Truth is, tradition was. Truth is, verses 1 and 2, truth is, there was nothing wrong with what they did. Their gleaning was not considered stealing, according to Deuteronomy 23-25. Let me read that. If you want to turn over there, you can. Here was what was initially put in Scripture. This was initially what God said in regards to what they were doing, 23, Deuteronomy 23, 25 says this. When you come into your neighbor's standing grain, you may pluck the heads with your hand, but you shall not use a sickle on your neighbor's standing grain. Were they using a sickle? No. And in fact, that scripture allowed for exactly what they did. There was nothing wrong with what they did, but because of the continual man-made rules that they had put in place, the legalism that was now affecting uh, the religious, they deemed this unlawful. You say, well, you know, uh, a lot has changed since then. You know, that, that, that was then, this is now. You know, the approach to the Sabbath continues today amongst Orthodox Jews. In early 1992, tenants let three apartments in an Orthodox neighborhood in Israel burn to the ground while they asked a rabbi whether a telephone call to the fire department on the Sabbath would violate Jewish law. 
Observant Jews are forbidden to use the phone on the Sabbath because doing so would break an electrical current, which is considered a form of work. In the half hour it took the rabbi to decide, yes, the fire spread to two neighboring apartments. You know, in certain communities in New York, in these Orthodox Jewish communities, there are literally, there's, there are elevators specially designed for the Sabbath day that have no buttons. They are programmed to stop at every floor because pushing the button would be work. This is ridiculous, isn't it? But you know what else is ridiculous? That even the household of God, that we as true born-again believers, followers of Jesus Christ, have also taken the words of our Savior and somehow added to and twisted and made man-made rules and we put them in place today and we expect people to live by them. The last time I checked the Scriptures, when it deals with dress attire, it says modesty. But we've taken that to mean, oh, you've got to wear a skirt, or you've got to wear a dress, or you've got to dress a certain way. And then we become the judge and say, that's immodest. You better watch what you're doing. This is exactly the way the Pharisees behaved. We want to dictate to others what's godly music and what's not godly music. And we use the Scripture to build our argument. But isn't this exactly what the Pharisees did? They started with a Scripture text, and then they end up to where they're at today and where they were in Jesus' day. And calling something wrong, missing the point, missing the heart and intent of what God originally wanted. We need to be careful Truth is, there was nothing wrong with what they were doing here. Tradition was, when the disciples did what they did in the eyes of the religious leaders, they were guilty of reaping, threshing, winnowing, preparing food. Four violations of the Sabbath. Traditions that had been expanded from the original intent of what God desired for the Sabbath. Look at verses 3 and 4. But Jesus answering them said, Have you not even read this? I mean, there's some sarcasm. Jesus, I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm starting to feel a little more comfortable about my sarcasm. I, I used to think that was wrong, but you know, I see it in Scripture. I mean, Jesus says to these religious guys who knew the, knew the text, these guys knew the text, they prided themselves on knowing the Word. But Jesus answering them said, Have you not even read this? What David did when he was hungry? He and those who were with him? How he went into the house of God, took and ate the showbread, and also gave some to those with him, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat. Jesus actually gives a legitimate example. This was not lawful, what David did. So let's explore that a little bit, because I want to give you some, some background on this. Let me recap. By the way, if you want to write this down, I'm just going to kind of highlight the account. But it's found in Leviticus 24, verses 5 through 9. Leviticus 24, verses 5 through 9, about the showbread. Basically, the showbread, it's one of the things that God wanted in the tabernacle. It was to be placed on a golden table. The golden table was in the holy place. And on this golden table was the showbread, or it's also known as the bread of presence. It was a symbol 
Okay? Every Sabbath, the, a, the priest was supposed to bring in 12 loaves, 12 loaves, 12 representing what? 12 tribes of Judah. So symbolic, they were to bring in the 12 loaves of hot bread and line them up in two rows of six on the table before the Lord. Symbolic of the fact that you know that God is the source of your bread. That God is your provider. That's what this represented. And this was a continual Sabbath practice. Again, to remind everyone, God is your provider. And you need to do this every week. Every week. A continual recognition that God is your bread provider. Can I remind you in this moment? God is still your bread provider. He's given you the ability, the air to breathe, the strength to do what you do. Be careful. Recognize who our bread provider is. According to Leviticus 24, the old bread that comes off can be eaten only by the priests because it's been consecrated to God. So it can be treated, it cannot be treated like common bread. It can't be sold or just given to any common person because it has a special consecrated significance. Only the priest can eat it. So what is Jesus referencing here? Well, turn, if you would, over to 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel 21. 1 Samuel 21. Here are these Pharisees again. Remember, they're talking to Jesus. They see the disciples plucking the heads off of this grain, blowing the chaff off after they rub it together, and now they're eating it. And they're saying, this is unlawful. What you're doing is wrong. You can't do this. They're trying to accuse them, trying to find something wrong. Instead of looking at their own life, which most legalists do, they look at other people's life and try to point out their sins. And so here's what happens. 1 Samuel. And notice in 21, verse 1. Now David came to Nob, to Ahimelech, the priest. And Ahimelech was afraid when he met David and said to him, Why are you alone and no one is with you? Remember, David's fleeing from the king. Saul's trying to kill him. Saul's got him on the run. And here's David and his, his group of, of vagabonds, and they're fleeing, and they're running, and they end up here. So David, verse 2, said to Ahimelech, the priest, The king has ordered me on some business and said to me, Do not let anyone know anything about the business on which I send you or what I have commanded you. Now, I put a little note there, lied. Question mark. Lied? Is that a lie? Hmm, interesting. You can talk about that one tonight in your care groups if you like. But that's not the point of this sermon. Here's what it says. He says, um, And I have directed my young men to such and such a place. Verse 3. Now therefore, what have you on hand? Give me five loaves of bread in my hand or whatever can be found. David's hungry. He's starving. He's on the run. He has nothing to eat. And the priest answered David and said, There is no common bread on hand, but there is holy bread, if the young men have at least kept themselves from women. Then David answered the priest and said to him, Truly, women have been kept from us about three days since I came out, and the vessels of the young men are holy, and the bread is in effect common, even though it was consecrated in the vessels this day. 
So the priest gave him holy bread, for there was no bread. There was no bread there but the show bread, which had been taken from before the Lord in order to put hot bread in its place on the day when it was taken away. So, here again, Jesus brings to these Pharisees' attention, and they no doubt know this story. I wonder how they justified it. Well, you know, David was the king, a man after God's own heart, and, uh, and he did tell them, you know, they was their own order. So, so because he was the king and he was the anointed one, uh, that made it okay. But you people, you can't do this. This is unlawful. But Jesus points out to them, hey, David did this. What's Jesus doing this for? Why is He pointing this out? Well, the truth is, human need is more important than religious ritual. Let me say that again, Christian. Human need is more important than religious ritual. Tradition was, the Pharisees most likely knew this account, but they failed to do this account. Instead of showing compassion, instead of meeting a need, someone who was hungry uh, and showing mercy, they wanted to use the law, the letter of the law, instead of the spirit of the law. And this is why so many people steeped in tradition, even today, something they just cannot accept. They don't believe that what God really wants is mercy before sacrifice. By the way, that's found in Hosea 6.6. I'll read it. Hosea 6.6, For I desire mercy and not sacrifice, and the knowledge of God more than burnt offerings. They obviously had missed that point. gentleman by the last name of Morgan made the following quote, Any application of the Sabbath law which operates to the detriment of man is out of harmony with God's purpose. Let me say that again. That's a great quote. Any application of the Sabbath law which operates to the detriment of man is out of harmony with God's purpose. And see, that's the thing these Pharisees were missing. Here's God incarnate, Jesus Christ Himself before their eyes. And he's trying to convey to to mankind here on the earth that he is the Savior. He's not come to condemn the world, but through him they might be saved. Notice verse 5 of Luke. And he said to them, The Son of Man is also... Lord of the Sabbath. Whoa! Man, he just punched him right in the gut with that one. You know, Luke has been laying this account, and we've been seeing this throughout our study. Jesus is making himself known. He's God incarnation. He is God, here to redeem man. And yet these Pharisees are beginning to follow, and they're taking notes because they want to catch him in something. They want a way to accuse him. And yet Christ is is teaching the Word of God. He's healing people wherever He goes. And here, once again, we see uh, just an opportunity for them to point out something and, and try to bring an accusation. The Lord of the Sabbath is the Son of Man. 
He, by the way, he's, he claimed this if you look just back over in chapter 5, verse 24. And they were all amazed and they glorified God and were filled with fear saying, we have seen strange things today. And um, he actually had, had just mentioned that uh, previous to that because he's healed the paralytic man. But that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. He said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, arise, take up your bed and go to your house. This Son of Man phrase, it's derived from Daniel chapter 7, uh, verse 13. And it's a messianic title. And you can look that up later, but it speaks of Jesus coming in the clouds and and, uh, God setting up His kingdom. Truth is, Jesus is claiming to be God. When He makes that statement, they were going to point out, oh, you're you're breaking the Sabbath law. Jesus says, I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. Whoa. What does that mean? He's saying, you aren't in charge of the Sabbath. I am. I'm in charge of it. That's what Jesus is saying. Tradition was the Pharisees, the scribes, the rabbis, the religious leaders, they set the rules for the Sabbath, which is far from the truth. So how are we going to apply this? How are we going to apply these five simple verses? Well, we could camp out here, believe me. The churches today, they tend to teeter or totter to one side or the other. Too often, we find churches steeped in such tradition that they don't see the legalism, the man-made rules that keep people bound And then you swing to the other side and we see lawlessness. We see no real standards. And we see just this liberty ran amok. Community Baptists, we don't want to find ourselves in either of those places. And I can say, I don't think we are in either of those places. But we need to be careful that we continue to seek the heart of God and understand the purpose and intent. We don't earn salvation by keeping rules. No man will ever get to heaven by his own good merits. The Bible makes real clear, God makes real clear that our good deeds are filthy rags in His eyes. God doesn't want you to clean up your life and come to Him. That's not what He wants. It's not about going to church, keeping a set of rules. That's not God's intent. God desires a relationship with you. God loves you. And He demonstrated that love to you that while you were still in your sin, Christ died for you. God was willing to sacrifice His one and only Son so that you could be forgiven. We all broke God's law. That goes without saying, we are all guilty. There's none righteous. No, not one. I don't care if you go to church, read your Bible daily, and pray all day long. In and of yourself, you are unrighteous. You are a sinner in God's eyes. And apart from the love, the grace, the mercy that God has offered us through His Son, Jesus Christ, we can't be forgiven. We stand in our own self-righteousness, and our own self-righteousness falls short of a holy, perfect God. I desperately need God's mercy. 
I desperately need God's grace because I know that, that I'm a sinner. I know that I've made mistakes. I know that I've messed up. I know that I fall short. And I desperately need the forgiveness of God. But here's the great thing. If you're here today and, and you've never experienced that healing forgiveness, the grace that God is offering, then I want to encourage you and invite you to respond to that call today. Because God doesn't promise us tomorrow. No one knows what a day will bring forth. God stretches out His love to us. And today is the day of salvation. What God desires of us is a broken heart, a broken and contrite spirit. Someone who's willing to humble themselves before God and say, God, forgive me. I believe Jesus Christ is who He claimed to be. I believe Christ came to this earth, God incarnate. And I believe He lived a sinless life. And I believe He went to the cross at Calvary and He took my sin upon Himself because the wages of sin is death. If we got our penalty, we deserve death. Eternal separation from God in hell. We deserve that. That's what I deserve. But God's not willing that any should perish but that all would come to repentance. If you've never turned from your sin to the Savior, that's my hope and message to you today. Stop running from God. Recognize your need for His grace and mercy, not His wrath and His judgment. That will fall one day. That will fall. And right now, He's holding it back. He's holding it back by His grace. But one day, He will say, Enough. Don't wait till it's eternally too late. If you've never turned to the Savior, turn to Him today. Turn from your sin and call upon the only name by which man can be saved. It's the name of Jesus Christ. He offers that grace freely to whosoever will. Let him come. Come to Christ today. But what is our application? Well, let me say this, church. We must discern between man-made traditions and truth. Let's think about it for a second. What are some of the man-made traditions? Let's be honest. We have traditions today that if we change them, many would think you've broken God's law, you've offended God. Oh, that's wrong. That's wrong. Oh, that's just, oh, that just, that grieves me. Well, let's just think for a second. We think that it's a law that we meet at 11 o'clock, which is why you changed it to 1055. Good for you. <laughs> I wonder what would happen if it got changed another time. (gasps) Pastor's thinking about changing the time. I don't like that. That's ungodly. I'm not saying that that's what I'm thinking because I'm really not. I like 1055, but you know. That's a preference, folks. What about 6.30, 6 o'clock, Sundays? Oh, Wednesday evenings. Meeting in somebody's home. We're breaking God's law. No. Oh, here's one that's really going to step on our toes. Well, I know it's God's will that we only go 12 o'clock for a sermon. (laughs) You know. What is the right length of worship? Do you want to put the time on that? Because I'll let you tell God what, what you think ought to be the time limit on it. 
I don't know if I'd want to hear what he said in response. (laughs) You know, you conclude from our Western customs that one hour must be exactly right. Do you realize that's only traditions? You go to some other parts of the world, they hike to church, and they spend all day together studying the Scriptures, eating together, fellowshipping together, and then they hike back in the dark. Now, I'm not suggesting we do that, though some of us could probably stand a little hike. Anyway, my point is that we've got to be careful that we're not allowing our traditions to shape us and be so ingrained in those traditions and those understandings that we miss the heart of the truth. Why are we gathered? What is the truth of our gathering today? Is it to worship God? Is it to draw closer to Him? Is it to encourage one another? Is it that we can be built up in the faith so that we are better equipped to go and do the work of the ministry? I mean, that's the truth, gang. Dress it up however you want. But don't get so caught up in the dressing it up that we miss the truth. That's exactly what these Pharisees did. Micah 6.8 says, what, is re- what does God require of you but to do justice, to love, kindness, to walk humbly with your God? Mark tells us in his gospel, in regards to the Sabbath, man was not made for the Sabbath. But the Sabbath was made for man. Did you hear that? That's the truth behind the Sabbath. The Pharisees missed that. We too oftentimes miss that. Man was not made for the Sabbath, but the Sabbath was made for man. We need to rest. The idea was that there would be rest in that day. The day was meant for rest. The day was meant for relaxation, refreshment, recreation. The day was meant to look at the wonders of God and glory and to worship Him. The day was meant for meeting needs and showing mercy and showing compassion. And ceremony and ritual is never to be burdensome. John MacArthur. You know what I still think was one of our best Sunday services here to date? was the day the tornadoes came through. And, and, and we didn't know if we were going to have services because the power was out and we had a handful of people sitting around that table. Just a handful. And I showed up in my overall work clothes because we had widows in our church that had trees down in their yard and they need to be cleaned. They need to be moved. And so we met for a brief devotional. Whoever came, came. And I said, guys, now I'm going to ask you to do something that's probably a little unorthodox. We need to go work in this widow's yard and get some trees moved. And we met over there, and I'm going to tell you what. To me, that was the body of Christ being the body of Christ. Now, the Pharisees wouldn't have liked that. But you know what? We were showing compassion. We were showing kindness. We were showing mercy. We were extending help in a time of need.
But a message like this, and we're not going to, you know, tonight I hope you exhaust this in your discussion time. I, I think this is a great one to start on, uh, though I have to admit it's probably going to be a... I, I'm going to pray for you leaders that are heading up the discussion because this is going to be a handful tonight. But it'll be good. Iron sharpening iron. But I want to say this in closing. Balance. Church, be careful. Be careful that we're not shouting legalism to abuse liberty. Sometimes we want to point out something as being legalistic for the sake of my liberty. And it becomes a cloak for vice. 1 Peter 2.15 says, For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. That's important. I think we actually live in a pendulum swing today where a lot of Christians are claiming their liberties and it's influenced by my right as an American, that I have a right. And we brought that into the church and now we're making new man-made traditions that say, I can do this and do that. Who are you to judge me? Because I've got freedom in Christ. The one girl said, I love my church because I get tequila on Friday and Jesus on Sunday. That's liberty run amok. You know, I told the church when we had that day and we went and helped the widow, hey, I've got, there's an ox stuck in the ditch. We need to get it out. And that's the scriptural point that they were allowed to work on a Sunday when, when that ox was stuck in the ditch on a Sabbath. They would be able to get it out. That was, that was okay. But I love what Billy Graham once said. Jesus tells us it's okay to help our ox out of the ditch on the Sabbath. But if your ox gets in the ditch every Sabbath, you need to either get rid of the ox or fill up the ditch. (laughs) Some of you may need to fill up the ditch. Be discerning. Be careful. A lot of things could be said between... Tradition and truth. Church, let's be sure that we're not like the Pharisee. That we will focus on truth, not tradition. Let's pray. Father,